0: the awesome privilege of hearing your word, of proclaiming your word, and of doing your word. Speak to us now, God, because our hearts are ready. Our minds are all on you. In Jesus' name, amen. Once again, Matthew chapter 28, verses 9 and 10, as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice! So they came and held him by the feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee and there they will see me. I want to preach today from the subject embracing the resurrection. Embracing the resurrection. In other words, holding on to it. Keep it close to your heart. Breathe it in, moment by moment, and day by day. On last Sunday, Christians all around the world celebrated the blessed resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here at the Good Hope Church, we celebrated. We went into the celebration after coming off of Holy Week, uh, a whole week of preaching, and then came Sunday morning, and we had the uh, 6 o'clock, the sunrise service, the 8 o'clock service, and then the 11 o'clock worship. And it was a great celebration. The great crowds all week long and great crowd, sunrise service, and great crowd at 8 o'clock, great crowd at 11 o'clock. People were rejoicing, great singing, great preaching, great, great, great. Wonderful time. It was almost as though our church was in revival. Amen. But what now? Where do we where do we go from here? What is the next step in our great celebration? Look around now that the Easter lilies have been removed from most sanctuaries and now that the world tries to get back to a sense of normalcy as, as they know it, they've taken down the uh, word Easter from the stores and they've uh, put up the springtime uh, apparel to sell. And for many people, the Easter event is, is behind them. It's, it's, it's a distant view in the real-view mirror. They, uh, they, uh, some are looking forward to next year and some have just put it out of their minds altogether. Where should our focus as a church be? Where should our focus be as children of God, as men and women of God? Let's turn our attention to the biblical text for the answer. And according to Matthew 28, verses 1 through 10, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary uh, went to the tomb of Jesus before dawn. And as I've thought about this over and over again um, I must give these women some credit. I mean, here they were going to the tomb after the resurrection. The brethren had gone their way and and, and a couple of them were on the e. mayor's road and you know it was too hot for them, and uh, some of them had already planned to go back to their business as usual, but not these faithful women they, they went to the tomb. We, we must give them credit, and they went to the tomb uh before dawn and i want to commend the women of this church uh, for your faithfulness uh i mean this eight o'clock crowd this is a faithful crowd i mean all week long you work and i'm I'm amazed that that here you are eight o'clock ready for worship on on sunday morning it's amazing well these women were there mary Magdalene, Mary, uh and and Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, and w- when they got there, they were met by an angel, kind of took them by surprise. They really didn't expect to see anyone there. They were met by an angel of the Lord. An angel told them that he's alive, that that he has risen. This was beyond their wildest imagination. Even though Jesus had told them it would happen, they they were still just, so taken back by the whole like, experience, they were just awestruck by this whole like, experience. The angel told them he's alive. He has risen, as he said. And then the angel told the women not to tarry, not to stick around the empty tomb. I mean, there's nothing here, you know. He's, he's gone. Don't tarry. But go quickly and tell his disciples that he's alive. And not only that, he's alive, but he will meet them in Galilee. So the women who had been faithful followers of Jesus, faithful supporters and participants in his ministry, these women ran to share the good news with his disciples just as they had been instructed to do. And so while they hastened to share the good news of his resurrection, while they ran to to tell this good news that he's alive, Jesus, the Bible says met them. And when he met them, he said to them, "Rejoice." And verse 9 says, "So they came, held him by the feet, and worship him imagine that scene imagine that scene there Jesus was with them they they fell at his feet and they held his feet just you know holding his feet just kind of an expression of of the joy that they that they felt in just seeing him and being with him Again, it's, it's kind of like you haven't seen someone in a long time or someone perhaps you thought that you would never see again and all of a sudden they show up and you, you get a glimpse and you, you just hold them. You're overwhelmed with, with joy by the whole experience. The women bowed at the feet of Jesus and they worshiped him, thus revealing the first aspect of embracing the cross, the, uh, the, the resurrection rather, the first aspect of keeping the resurrection close to your heart. The, the first aspect, according to Matthew's gospel, of holding on to the reality of the resurrection, the first step in, in, in not letting the resurrection get away from us and become a distant memory in our, in, in our, in our real view mirrors is worship. So they came and held him by the feet and worshiped him. The women bowed down at the feet of Jesus and worshiped him, thus revealing the first aspect of embracing the cross, the the, the resurrection, rather, the first aspect of embracing the resurrection, as verse 9 of the text points out, is adherence to his worship. That's the first point. Adherence to his worship. The the, the reason the world has put him in the past is because they have no sense, no urgency of adhering to his worship. The word adherence means to hold fast, to stick by, to stand by, to give support to, or to maintain loyalty. Therefore, worshiping our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, is a visible, a viable, and a valuable piece of evidence that demonstrates our loyalty to him. That's what worship does. It demonstrates our loyalty to him. Don't miss it. Don't you think for one moment that your non-Christian neighbors are not paying attention to you getting up early on Sunday morning, going to the house of God to worship. Don't you think for one moment that they do not hear your car start, your truck start, that they are not looking out of the window, watching you all dressed up as you drive away, going to the house of worship. Worship Worshiping our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is a, a visible, it's a viable, it's a valuable piece of evidence that that demonstrates our loyalty to Him. People are loyal to um, their favorite football teams. I mean, they, they show up, don't they, at the games? And not only do they show up, but but they speak. Buy expensive tickets and, and 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 they drive many miles. I mean, right now in the city of Lakeland, uh, you now there are people from all over, from Michigan and and Canada and all over, um, going to the preseason baseball game, going to the baseball game because they're loyal. They 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 wear the paraphernalia, they they spend their money. They 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 are loyal to loyal to their team. What well, worship is? One piece of valuable evidence that demonstrates our loyalty to Jesus Christ. Worship is a metric by which we gauge the value of our relationship to him. If you want to measure for yourself your value, how much you value your relationship to Jesus, just look at your worship. Just look at your worship. Worship is a thermometer that tells us if we are hot or cold in our relationship with Jesus Christ. When you're hot, you worship. Uh, when you're cold, uh, you, you find other things to do. But this, worship, this text, by the way, it's talking about corporate worship. It's talking about when we come together to worship. It's not talking about private worship. It's talking about corporate worship where two or three gather in his name to to worship him. This text is about Community worship, not about one-on-one worship. We we can worship in our car, that's true. We can worship at home. We can worship all by ourselves, and, our, and, and, and we should, but that's not what this text is talking about. This text is talking about when the community come together, the two or the three or the 200 or the 2,000 yeah. gather in his name to worship him. This is corporate worship in this text. Yeah. This text is about two women who who worshiped in public. Uh, there's a lot to be said about worshiping Jesus by yourself, but this verse is, is about people coming together for the purpose of worshiping him like we are doing this morning. Now, the Mary, Magdalene and the other Mary knew Jesus for themselves. They were not going along just to get along. They were not following some Fashion or fad they were not trying to impress anybody they got down on the ground held the master's feet and worshipped him because worshipping reverencing adoring the risen savior was a top priority for them that's why they did it you see when the resurrection of Jesus Christ is about more than, it's, it's about more than a religious observance. When Jesus is suffering and bleeding and dying on the cross, is more to us than a nice, heartwarming story. When the empty tomb, the words of the angel and the testimonies of the two Marys means more to us than Easter eggs and Easter bunnies and, and spring break. When we recognize that uh, who Jesus is, we will have a passion to worship. That's the reason why the world doesn't worship. That's the reason why your unsaved neighbors and, 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 and family members and, and coworkers don't worship because they don't recognize who Jesus is. They, they don't recognize who, who the world has in, in Jesus. Therefore, they have no passion. Is there anybody who has here this morning who has a burning passion to worship Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords? Is there anybody here who can identify with the passion for worship expressed by hymn writer Robert Grant who wrote these words, Oh, worship the king, all glorious above. And gratefully sing his power, his love, our shield and defender, the ancient of days, pavilion in splendor and girded with praise. Frail children of dust and feeble and frail, in thee do we trust, nor find thee to fail. Thy mercies how tender. How firm to the end I'll make a defender, redeemer, and friend. Oh, worship the king. Is anybody here whose passion for worship motivates you, moves you, compels you, drives you, encourages you, and persuades you? to get up out of your comfortable bed even after working a long week, even having after having a busy Saturday and make your way out to church on Sunday morning to worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Well, here's a truism. You can take this one to the bank if we don't have a passion for private as well as public worship, after all God has done for us, after he has blessed us and kept us and made a way for us out of no way, if we don't have a burning desire to follow the mandate of Hebrews 10, 25, to assemble ourselves together for worship, if we can take it or leave it. That is to say, if we can take or leave coming to church on the Lord's Day Sunday morning, depending upon what time the game starts or who's playing or if the fish are biting, Or if the company picnic is going on, or if family or friends are coming to town, if we can, in good conscience, without regret, remorse, sadness, we can give up our worship, adoring, praising the name of Jesus who hung on Calvary's cross, suffered blood and died in order to pay our sin debt. If we can give that up with ease, something is seriously wrong. It's wrong. Something is wrong. If we can't give God praise in his house on the Lord's day with our able-bodied selves, Something is wrong because embracing the resurrection is about worship. The second aspect of embracing the resurrection is acceptance of his word. Look again at verse 10. Jesus said to the women, do not be afraid. That's his word. Now, when Jesus said to the women, do not be afraid, he was encouraging them not to allow fear not to allow fear not to allow being afraid not allow being scared to marginalize trivialize or disenfranchise them in any way shape form or fashion for to be sure the chief priests the religious leaders and the roman officials would be super suspicious and aggressively hostile towards anyone remotely associated with Jesus Christ or his teachings. Not only that, but these women lived in a male-dominated, orientated society where their voices and their views would not be immediately appreciated or welcomed. So it was, Jesus encouraged them not to be afraid of hostility, not to be afraid of rejection, not to be afraid of negative responses, not to be afraid of failure. Not to be afraid of what the future held in store for them. Likewise, Jesus says to us, do not be afraid. Do not fear the future. Do not fear hostility. Do not fear rejection. Do not fear negative people and negative responses. Do not fear negative politics and negative economics or negative worldwide events. Do not fear, because our hope and our trust is not in the world or in the world system. Rather, our hope is in Jesus, the resurrected Lord and Savior. He is our firm foundation who says to his church and to every born-again believer in him, these words, do not be afraid. is know that what he said? Do not be afraid. As a seminary student, one of my favorite hymns in chapel, as we had chapel every, every week, we have had a professor or a guest preacher, and, and we came into our senior year, all of us had to preach a senior sermon, before the student body and before the the faculty and staff. It was a part of of a graduation requirement. And for three years, I attended chapel. And and one of the songs I kept hearing over and over and over again stayed with me even to this day. And I used this song as I presented my senior sermon at Virginia Union University School of Theology back in 1981. 1981. The song is entitled "How Firm a Foundation." There are five verses. I won't share them all, but I want to share just a couple of the stanzas, so you'll get what Jesus means. To, you, you get what I'm saying to you about not fearing, because He is our firm foundation. Uh, this song remind, remains to this day one one of one of my favorites because it reminds me of the power of God to protect all of those who put their trust in him. Listen to the profound and prolific words. How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say than to you he has said to you who for refuge to Jesus has fled Here it is. Listen carefully. Fear not. I am with thee. Oh, be not dismayed, for I am your God and will still give thee aid. I'll strengthen thee, help thee, and cause thee to stand upheld by my gracious, omnipotent hand. The hymn writer goes on to Recall the soul that on Jesus has leaned for repose. I looked that word up. It means rest. I will not, I will not desert to his foes. That soul through all, though all hell should endeavor to shake. I'll never, no, never, no, never forsake. That kind of courage. That kind of confidence instilled in the women the power to move forward. and That's the kind of courage and confidence that Jesus still instills in us who will take him at his word. Embracing the resurrection means taking him at his word, whatever he said, hold it close to your heart, moment by moment and day by day. Thirdly and finally today, the third aspect of embracing the cross is being active as his witness. Jesus said to the women in verse 10b, go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee. And there they will see me. Now, after the crucifixion of Jesus, the disciples obviously felt it was their best interest to get out of Dodge. So they went into hiding. After all, they had witnessed the unjust trial and the brutal murder of Jesus on the cross. They were dejected. They were depressed they were disillusioned they were now a despondent group who needed to hear that Jesus was alive in Galilee and if they wanted to see him they had to go there. So it was these women embraced the resurrection and so doing they went to the brethren and they told, the story. They said Jesus is alive and he will meet you in Galilee. Now, I don't need to tarry long here or belabor the point that we live in a city, in a state, in a nation, and in a world where people need to hear the story. They need to hear some good news. We have a friend that lives in Maryland, and she's been teaching for a number of years, and she told us some years ago that on Monday morning, she tells her children, when they come in the classroom, tell me some good news. Don't bring me no bad news. Tell me some good news. Well, ABC, NBC, CBS, Fox, as well as their affiliates, are dedicated to sharing bad news. Most of the headlines you read now dedicated to sharing bad, bad, bad news. Tune in and you can watch and hear bad news 24 hours a day, seven days a week. In fact, you can listen on the radio and Internet news for the most part is all the same, mostly bad News and why anybody would want to listen to bad news over and over and over again is beyond me. While anybody would sit there day and night in the radio when they're listening to your car, in your car while riding along, listening to bad news over and over and over again, it's a mystery amazing to me. But people do it all the time. But Jesus, according to the text, is calling those of us who know Him, who trust Him, who genuinely love Him, to share His good news. Tell them some good news. People got a lot of problems. Tell them some good news. Some folk are sick, trying to trying to get well, looking to God, to to heal them. Tell them some good news. People want to hear some good news. Jesus wants us to share hope with the hopeless. Peace with those whose lives are in turmoil. Joy with those who are wallowing in self-pity and sorrow and defeat. He wants us to tell the story of a Savior who more than 2,000 years ago, left his home in heaven, came down to earth, lived among men, women, and children, a Savior who healed the sick, raised the dead, saved the lost. Tell the story of a savior, Savior who died on Calvary's cross, not for good people. But he died for poor, wretched, undone sinners like me and like you. Like every one of us, tell the story of how he was buried in a borrowed tomb. Tell the story of how God raised him from the dead on the third day Sunday morning with all power given unto him. Tell the story of how he still seeks and saves the lost no matter who they are, where they are, what they've done. Jesus is still saying, tell them to meet me in Galilee. In other words, meet me right where they are by confessing their sins and looking to me. Tell the story of how he is the author of love, joy, and peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and gentleness, and self-control. Tell the story of how there's still room at the cross. Although millions have come, there's still room for one. Find somebody this week and tell the story that there's room at the cross for you ABC not telling it. NBC can't tell it. CBS won't tell it. Fox won't tell it. But Jesus said, you tell it. Yeah. Because he saved you. Yeah. You tell him. Yeah. Embracing the cross means telling the story. Yeah. He lives. Yeah. He lives. Christ Jesus lives today. Yeah. You ask me how. No, he lives. He lives within my soul.